0: You know, I love that song, How Great Thou Art. And there are certain locations in the world that bring that feeling of God's greatness. And one of those is a place I visited in 2012 that's cited right here in 1 Samuel 24. David has been running again from Saul, from stronghold to stronghold, from wilderness to wilderness. And he finds himself in En And in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now it happened. When Saul had returned from following the Philistines, it was told him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. En Gedi literally means the spring of the kid. It's a natural source of fresh water in the middle of the desert of the Dead Sea. So David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Why in the world is this area with these views called the sun of the spring and the area of the wild goats? Let me show you. Here's some pictures from that area in En Gedi. These goats are actually known as the ibex. And these ibex have natural suction cups on their feet. They can literally run up and straight down a mountainside. They look a little bit like deer to us. They're kind of a mixture between deer and goats. And they can walk on the steepest ledges up and down, even when they're newborns. In fact, the parents will help them learn how to walk up these mountains. And David is here in this location Seeing these wild goats walking up and down the jagged edges and thinking to himself, God, that's what I need. I am walking some jagged edges in my life with King Saul hunting me, Philistines after me. I need the same kind of suction cup feet to walk along the challenging edges of life just like those Ibex. And the ibex are drawn to this area where En where David would have seen them because of the natural spring water, the natural waterfalls. So again, picture David. David is in En He sees all these wild goats around him, these incredible features of rock with God's beauty all around him and these animals willing and able to run straight down and straight up vertical jagged rocks. And at one level you and i would say oh god please flatten the rocks in my life no more jagged rocks no more mountains no more challenges but here's what david found and what we're going to find today in en the area of the wild goats god won't tame the jagged rocks in our life when his real goal is to make us into wild goats god wants us to trust him and have the kind of feet that can handle whatever jagged rocks come our way god's developing you and i into wild goats the ibex how does he do that Well, let's look at the text together what does it mean for god to make us into wild goats right well look what it says now it happened that saul returned from following the philistines remember saul's been after him And the Philistines have been after him. That it was told him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi, the son of the kid, the fresh spring. Then Saul took 3,000, 3,000 chosen warriors to hunt him down, to seek David and his men in the rocks of the wild goats. All right, let me show you what this looks like, not just with stills, with some video. It's pretty amazing. If you come to this area, look at the vertical plains there. Now imagine those ibex or those goats we talked about running up and down. Beautiful waterfalls. I mean, there must be a dozen or more in this area where Dave and his men would be take a bath, take a shower, just drink. Oh, we've been in a desert and wilderness for so long. And that's why there's so many animals here. Rock badgers, ibex. They travel to this location of God's beauty and God's greatness. And this area that in one sense screams of God's provision is a place that David is actually caved in or walled in as 3,000 men are about to corner him here. Look what happens. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave in En Gedi. And Saul went in to attend to his needs that's a way of saying he needs to go to the bathroom. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave he went into to go to the bathroom. Then the men of David said to him, Psst, this is the day. Kill him. Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand. This is exactly what God said he would do. That you may do to him as it seems good to you. But David arose and he secretly cut off the corner of Saul's rope. That's a pretty amazing actually what's going on here because it looks like God has orchestrated a way in which David has gotten close to the king in a very vulnerable moment to kill him and finally be done with all this. And David's men are like, "This is it. Kill him." But David instead of killing him pulls out his knife reaches forward in the darkness, and just slices off the corner of his garment. And I think he does the corner of the garment for a reason. Why is that? Let me show you. The corner of the garment, if you were Jewish, had a tassel on it. And there was a tassel often composed of white today, but biblically it was called to be both white and blue. This tassel on the corner of your garment was a sign of God's protection, But it's also a reminder that you were supposed to act in such a way in the world that you were acting according to God's will. And David cuts off not just the corner because it's close. He cuts off the corner to bring it to Saul's attention. Now let me go back to the book of Numbers and tell you why that tassel on the corner mattered. Numbers chapter 15. Speak to the children of Israel... Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the middle of that tassel, a very specific tassel. And you shall have that tassel that you may look upon it. It's supposed to remind you of something. And you're going to remember all the commandments of the Lord. Submit to the Lord. Obey the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Honor your father and mother. Treat each other kindly and do those things and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So imagine this garment that Saul's wearing and on the corner is this blue and white tassel. And David turns in that cave without Saul knowing and cuts that piece off. And he cuts it off one to show Saul later that he could have killed him but also to say you're no longer thinking about your actions as a way to obey God you are so obsessed with killing me you're so obsessed and suspicious about me that you've lost track of what really matters now there's three aspects to being a wild goat remember I told you God's trying to make us into a wild goat Think of it this way. What are the three aspects God's developing? What's he doing here with David? Think of a wild goat like this. He's got all-terrain feet. He's got a troubled heart. and He's got those defensive horns. What we've seen so far is that David has these all-terrain feet, right? He is able to go into strongholds, go into caves, be chased by Philistines, chased by King Saul, God has been making David into a wild goat with all-terrain feet. And maybe that's what he's doing with you and I. What are all-terrain feet? It's saying, God, I have a footing for any path. So instead of praying like, God, please get rid of, tame the jagged rocks in my life, we say, God, I'm open to becoming a wild goat. And if you're going to make me into a wild goat, I want the kind of all-terrain feet that can handle any footing. And what would that do for your worry or your anxiety if instead of going, oh my goodness, I really, I really just wish life was smooth. Instead we said, God, give me the kind of all-terrain feet that I can handle whatever comes my way. Isn't that what you want and need? Wouldn't that be better than depending your peace and depending or, or justifying how you feel based on what happens? You're never going to be happy because circumstances go up and circumstances go down. But if you knew that God had given you all terrain feet, you could say, I don't prefer certain rock ledges, but I, God with you, I have what it takes to take on any challenge. Now let's think about that from the perspective of that cave. I mean imagine you're David and you're in one of these caves in Engedi. And all of a sudden, shh, I hear something. And you see King Saul coming in through the entrance, right? I mean this feels like God's will. In fact, you're in the back corners and you see his silhouette. One of the amazing things that David's feet allowed him to do is to handle the jagged edges of revenge. All right, many of us can handle challenging circumstances, but do we have the kind of all-terrain feet to handle the challenges of our own emotions? I mean, who wouldn't have wanted to kill off somebody who's taken your wife, taken your family, and put you in danger for this many months, even years? I was talking to a friend of mine, As a business guy, and I've known him here at Horizon for, I don't know, almost 18 years. And I've always been impressed by his courage to take on new challenges. I called him up this week, and I said, hey, would you be willing to do an interview in a few months? Because he had a real safe career with a real safe career path that would set him up for comfort come 10 years ago. And he decided to do his own startup with a new mission, a new vision, a new culture, Something more than just comfort and money, he wanted to take on a very difficult challenge in an industry that people had not really attacked before. So I wanted him to tell that story, but he said, well, Chad, do you know that I left that company and I started another company? I'm like, no. And it just, again, impressed me. It would be so much easier to say, wow, I built this company up. It was doing very, very well, featured by Google and other places. I thought this will be where he settles in. But again, 10 years after the last launch, he does it again. I said, well, when did you launch the new company? He said, it looked really good on paper. I launched it March of 2020. I thought, now that's the view from the cave, right? Oh my goodness, this is not what I thought it would be. But it was amazing as I talked to him, facing all of the challenges, all of the silhouettes of uncertainty he's had since March. He said, You know what? God has been faithful to me in the past, He'll be faithful to me in the future. Here was somebody with all-terrain feet that had seen God give him what he needed courageously and wisdom and challenges in the past. And he was trusting God to equip him with those all-terrain feet for the challenges of the future. It was amazing to me in the same way that David was able to, from this cave, handle his own emotions, the jagged edges of his own emotions... My friend was using the same God, the same feet God gave him to handle the emotions of worry and anxiety and uncertainty. God wants to give you and I all terrain feet. Let's go back to the text. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him. Right? He didn't even kill the guy, but he's got this troubled heart. One of the things God loves about David is his heart. His heart is troubled because it's so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What's it troubled about? Well, because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, Oh, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words. Because they really want to kill him and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way, missing a piece of the corner of his rope. David also arose and went after him. 3,000 people out there about to kill him. He talked about all-terrain feet. He went out of the cave and he called to Saul saying, my Lord and king, still talking respectfully, still acknowledging him as king and God's anointed. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped his face to the earth. He's bowing down to show reverence to him. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of people who say that I'm out to seek you harm? I'm not. Look, this day your eyes have seen the Lord delivered you into my hands. I could have killed you. And someone even urged me to kill you. And I didn't. I didn't do it. How will Saul respond? Now that Saul's seen the truth, will he be able to incorporate that into his suspicious worldview? But my eye spared you, Saul, Dad. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see, look at the corner of your robe. In my hand, I've got it right here. It's missing. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see. And look at the evidence. See, see. There's evidence of my life change. There is neither evil nor rebellion in my heart. Right? I've got a troubled heart toward the Lord who's trying to make me even treat my enemies well. There's no rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life. One of the amazing things about David is his ability to live under authority. In fact, if you and I struggle with being under authority, we're probably too immature to be in authority. God is using these years in David's life to form him into a wild goat who knows how to be under authority. Because he will mature to be in authority. And God uses these moments. Can we surrender joyfully to God's authority and the authority of those above us or around us? Now, David's given this impassioned plea to Saul. Look at all the evidence that I am not who you've made me out to be in your mind. But again, that troubled heart was the Holy Spirit. Speaking to his conscience, speaking to his heart. It was the Holy Spirit talking to David in his circumstances. Back to our goat. God wants to develop in you not just all-terrained feet, but a troubled heart, a, a sensitive heart, a conscience that can listen and hear even the gentle nudgings of the Holy Spirit telling you when to be convicted Telling you, nudging you toward doing the right thing. Convicting you when you're even leaning toward the wrong thing. If God's making you and I into wild goats, part of being a wild goat is having a troubled heart. Let me define a troubled heart for you. Just based on what we saw here in this text. A troubled heart means it kills me to hurt God's heart. Isn't that beautiful? Let me just think about that that I am so sensitive to what God wants for my life, what God's will is for my life, that I want to live a life of joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. I'm so leaned in that direction that it kills me when I'm breaking God's heart. Not just his commandments. The reason I want to obey his commandments is because I want to be attached to God's heart. And my heart and God's heart are one. What does that look like in your life and mine to have that kind of troubled heart? I was talking to a friend recently who who was really wrestling with revenge. As we were talking on the phone, she's attended here, she and her husband, several times. And I was talking to them on the phone about how we deal with revenge. And she said, you don't realize what they did, what they didn't do, how long it lasted She said, how can I let go of this anger that I have, this frustration I have? I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I I, I feel this troubled heart aspect. How can I forgive and not want to take things in my own hands? I said, well, you're going to have to trust God to be the judge. Because only when God is the judge can we stop being the judge. In fact, one of my favorite quotes come from a man named Miroslav Volf who discusses how trusting in God as the ultimate judge frees you from bitterness. He says, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make the final end to violence, would that God not be, he wouldn't even be worthy of worship. The practice of nonviolence, not taking revenge, not getting mad, not getting even, the only way you can do that, he says, the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. What? How would believing divine vengeance help me be less vengeful? It's actually pretty easy. It's the same thing I said to my friend that day. I said, right now you're keeping track what they did wrong, how long ago it was, how long it lasted, what they deserve, right? Yeah. I said, until you can hand that over to a righteous judge and say, not my responsibility. God, I'm going to let you handle this as judge. When you recognize that vengeance is the Lord's, that he is the judge, every time you get angry, and David certainly had lots of true stories of what had happened to him, you say, God, I'm trusting you. I can't be objective you can. You might be more merciful than I want, but I trust you because I don't want to live a life of bitterness. And quite frankly, we need people around us. Now, in David's case, the people around him were encouraging him to do the opposite. Kill him! Kill him! We need people around us to help us develop a troubled heart in the sense of a sensitive heart to God's spirit. It's one of the reasons we do so many of the things we do around Horizon. We know we need community to help speak into our lives. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be announcing more and more information about authentic manhood. Where guys get together, they hear Ken Kington speak about what it means to be a man of God, and then they get into small groups and just have guys kind of speak into each other's lives. Hey, what do you think about this? Is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? And if you've never signed up for authentic manhood, and you feel like, I need some help here dealing with my own emotions, whether it's anger or vengeance, or just how to navigate the challenges of life, sign up for authentic manhood so you can have the kind of voices in your life, not like David's men encouraging you to do the wrong thing, but people can encourage you to do the right thing. Think of that quote from Miroslav. Would trusting in God's judgment help you to let go of bitterness? Or maybe you've got a high school student. We're going to be relaunching our high school ministry starting next week, August 16th, at both services, 915 and 1045. And maybe your students just feel like, man, I haven't been around other students my age and and student pastors who are trying to speak into my life to create that troubled heart, that sensitive heart to God's word and to God's voice. One of the reasons we're offering so many different ways to connect with God, online services, services out in the tent, different tools like our pathway to prayer, personal phone calls, launching our student ministry next week, authentic manhood in small groups with men and women, is we know we all need help to be formed into wild goats. Let's go back to the text. He mentions this very thing, when he's talking to Saul. Look what he says. Look how many times he mentions God versus himself and how he's able to handle this. Let the Lord judge between you and me. There it is. Let the Lord avenge me on you. My hand shall not be against you. I'm not taking justice into my own hands. That's what David says. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. And I don't have a wicked heart. And I'm not going to have wickedness against you. Come out of me. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you coming after? What are you spending all this time for? Whom do you pursue? I love this. A dead dog or a flea? Therefore let the, the Lord judge and judge between you and me. And see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Now, if you talk to Saul and said, is David a, a, a big problem in your life? Yes! David's like, seriously, Saul? I'm like a flea. I'm like a little flea. I'm like a dead dog. Why are you spending so much time chasing me around? And God might say the same thing to you and I. That thing we're so angry about that somebody did to us, said about us two years ago, five years ago, the letter they wrote, the text they sent our daughter, whatever it is. Are you spending an enormous amount of emotional energy chasing a dead dog? Are you spending an awful lot of energy and emotion going after a little flea? do you want to be free? Do you want to stop telling that story to yourself and other people? Then the secret is, let God be the judge and put everything into perspective. And that doesn't mean that what happened to you was not serious and horrible and terrible. Hand it over to God. Let him be the judge. So it was that when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And don't miss this. My son David. Up until this point in the last couple chapters, you'll recognize he keeps referring to David as Jesse's son. Right? It kind of gives him the emotional space to be angry and bitter and try and kill him he actually stops objectifying David and starts seeing him as my son. And he mentions him by name. It's been a while since that's happened. David, except when he's saying kill David. It's a powerful little hint at transformation here in Saul. It's going to rotate in and rotate back. But there's something starting to happen in his heart. So Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Oh, what have I done? How did I get to this place? He's broken over his own brokenness. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. Now, do you recognize those words? They sound a lot like Jesus. Remember Jesus, what he he told us to do? Pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Paul says if somebody's trying to revile you, be good to them. And by doing so, you heap burning coals on their head because they keep dishing out wickedness and vengeance and mean-spiritedness. But you don't take the bait. You instead are kind and loving and self-controlled. Jesus did that to us when we were mean-spirited and angry and treasonous and rejected him. What do we see coming off the cross from Jesus? Right? How did he treat his enemies? Just what Saul said about David. The ultimate son of David looks at his enemies, the Romans, and you and I as his spiritual enemies and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's Jesus' goodness poured out on his enemies and that's what transforms the human heart all right back to the text and you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me you're right the facts are there I see it for when the Lord knows the Lord's coming up again now Saul's talking about the Lord delivered me into your hand you you're exactly right you had a moment to kill me and you didn't kill me for if a man finds his enemy will he let him get away safely I've never heard of this before I've never seen this kind of conduct before. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be the king. Man, I've never met a man of such character. I've never met a wild goat like you. And that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your Isn't it powerful how David's life and actions are speaking even to his enemy here? Therefore, swear to me now, to me, that you will not cut off my descendants. I know you're going to be king. Don't be like the other kings who kill off all of the descendants so there's no threats to the throne. Will you promise that to me? That you will not destroy my name and my father's house? And David swore that to Saul. Yes, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill your descendants. And Saul went home. But David and his men went up to, and here's our word again, the stronghold. Where's that stronghold? God told him to leave the stronghold at one point. He came back to the stronghold at one point. It's the place we know as Masada, it's just this massive, massive area in the Dead Sea. And to give you a perspective, there's a path you can barely see here, but it took about two hours for me to walk up this path when I was there. Two hours. So, a person is like a little dot right there. He's in the stronghold. Again, like a wild goat, he's climbed up the jagged rocks in the stronghold. So, notice all terrain feet, a troubled heart, but the other thing he developed were defensive horns. Now, what do I mean by defensive horns? He allowed God to be his defense. These ibex, and they grow and get these horns. They are amazing. Just look at the size of these horns on these mountain goats. God wants you to have these massive defensive horns. Not that you're defensive, but you know God is your defense. Look what he says. Defensiveness is that God is my defense. And since God is my defense, I won't avenge. You want to be a wild goat? You need all trained feet. You need that sensitive, troubled heart toward the Lord. And you need to know that God is your defense. God will be the judge. Because when God is your defense, you don't need to avenge yourself. I had an opportunity to do just that recently. You know, we've all had moments in our life where someone has harmed us or hurt us. And sometimes you never get the chance to reconnect with that. And I was talking to a friend recently who had been hurt by a really good friend, and as we were dialoguing about that, they kind of did what we all do—they kind of told the story of the horrible things that had happened, and I was kind of part of the situation. I said, "Yeah, that's how I remember it too." And he said, "How am I going to move past this?" He's kind of like saying, "Like, how do I make God my defense?" I said, "Well, one thing is..." You hand this over to God so he's in charge of judging, not you. The second thing, though, as we were talking, I said is, do you think you'd be capable of doing this if you were in that person's situation? And he's like, not a chance. There's no way I would ever do this to someone like they've done it unto me. I said, well, let me just ask you this given the right time and circumstance do you know your own heart well enough to think that you are capable maybe you're a long way away from it yes way to go i I hope you're a long way away from it but do you think the seeds of what this person did to you though fully uh, watered and fully flowered in their life do you think those seeds exist in you that you're capable of it well i guess I said, well i really think about that because that's what brings the humility into circumstances like this, when I recognize that God is my judge, and thank goodness he didn't judge me for the seeds in my heart, that I'm capable of lying, I'm capable of deceiving, I'm capable of vengeance, I'm capable of self-righteousness, I said, I think instead of just focusing on the other person's bad behavior, and it is, part of God being your judge is acknowledging that you're capable of the very thing the person you're mad at did to you. So tough words, aren't they? It's tough to think about the thing you, you and I have been so self-righteous about, right? I would never do that I might be capable of. But see, that's the secret to becoming a wild goat. It's the secret to God being your defense as you realize He's already defended you with His grace. On the cross and because he defended you with his grace on the cross you're okay (laughs) okay that his grace could defend someone else so here's the question for you and i today will you allow god to make you into a wild goat that can take on the jagged edges of life Will you dare to stop just praying for smooth circumstances and say, God, make me into a wild goat. I want to be an Ibex. God, whatever it takes, I want to take on vengeance, take on worry, give me those all-terrain feet. Or maybe you've begun to stray into complacency. Maybe you'd say to God, God, I need a troubled heart. I need to be more sensitive to your voice, to your word. I can't think of the last time I prayed deeply or confessed deeply, or I heard your voice convicting me of how I spoke to my wife or my employee or my boss. I can't think of the last time you told me that sounded like gossip today. And maybe you want to ask God to give you that sensitive heart to take on the jagged edges of emotions that come our way daily. Or maybe because you got a deep sense of justice God's given you. It's a good thing that God's given you a sense of justice. But you need God to be your defense and God to be your avenger. Would you pray that to God this week? Would you say to God, God, will you help me know what it feels like and looks like for you to be my defense? And the reason we do what we do here on our church is because we don't want you just to know about the Bible. We want you to know God. We want you to experience God. We want you to feel His presence forming you and conforming you into the image of His Son Jesus. That's why we do what we do. And many of you have come up to me recently and said, Chad, how can I help what's going on right now at the church? And I say, lots of ways. Maybe it's joining a group. And it's a way that you can help us by allowing God to form you into a wild goat. Maybe it's financially. You're saying, Chad, I want to help. What does it look like? Maybe God forming you into a wild goat means I need to become more of a financial giver. And God wants to challenge you to give in ways you've never given before. Maybe becoming a wild goat means serving. Part of these online services, many people have been at high risk and they're not able to run cameras for us. You say, Chad, part of being a wild goat for me is I want to serve. Maybe you want to call the office and say, how can I serve right now as a greeter? How can I serve as a camera operator? As we kind of relaunch the church and continue that, there's going to be opportunities for you to become the wild goat God has for you. Either way, I want you to pray that prayer this week. God, make me into a wild goat. Don't just tame the jagged edges. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be more than we are. We want to be the best version of ourselves. We know you died, that your grace would cover our brokenness, that you would offer us mercy when we deserve judgment. But God, prompt us your Holy Spirit to serve big, to give big, to live big, and to trust big. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.